was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, church. I am so glad to be back. I have missed you guys. I'm excited today because we're actually we're finishing up our summer in the Psalms today. Not that the summer is over, um, far from it, but but uh, we have some exciting things happening and coming in July as a church. And so just quickly, I wanted to give us kind of a heads up on where we're heading. Second Peter. Let me ask you, if you knew your time was short, if you knew you were about to die, if you knew that you were about to be arrested and that your life was about to be taken, how would that impact the way that you live? More than that, more than that. How would that impact your final phone call, uh, your final letter, if you write any of those these days, your final, let's, let's do email, your final email to the ones that you love? Would you have a sense of urgency? Would your words, would your message, would they be important? Of course they would. Well, 2 Peter was that letter for the Apostle Peter toward the end of his life, knowing that his time was short, knowing that the emperor was looking to end his life and knowing that he was facing this persecution, Peter writes this letter to the church, giving them the final instructions, the instructions to be passed along from generation to generation. Um, when your time is short, you're not gonna you're not gonna waste words, right? Well, this letter, as we're gonna find, is direct and it's powerful. Peter's words are direct and important for us to see and to apply. And so, over the next couple months, I am so excited as a church to walk through this letter together, and I believe that it is going to be so good for us. The more I study this letter, church the more that the Lord has been working on me and the Lord has been working in me and the more that I believe that God is going to do a work in us as a church as we journey through this letter. So I, I hope that you're going to be able to join us as we journey through this letter together. And that journey, our journey together through Second Peter, starts next week. So I hope you're able to be a part of that. But this week, church, Let's finish well our time together in the Psalms by looking together at Psalm 130. And as we turn our focus to God's word this morning, let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask him, let's ask him to bless our time together, uh, to bless the, the proclamation of his word. So would you church, would you just pause with me and let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we come to you in the same way, in the same posture that we come to you each and every time that we come to your word. We come to you asking that you would speak because we, we don't want to hear from a man this morning. We, we don't want to hear the latest self-help fad of our day. No, Lord, we seek you to to hear from the God who created all things and the God who holds 
all things together. This morning, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what is timeless, what is true, and what is eternal. Lord, would you help us? And God, as you speak, we don't want to just collect more head knowledge about you, but this morning we want to know you. And we want to obey all that you have set before us. So Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? In Jesus' name, we pray this and ask it. Amen. Amen. All right, well, this morning might be a little uncomfortable, just a warning, because this morning, Psalm 130 is going to cause us to confront sin. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not talking about you know the sins of the the world, the sins of the nations, the sins of the of our communities, not talking about the sins, you know, out there. That's the easy part. But this psalm doesn't primarily do that. Instead, this psalm causes us first to recognize the sin that is that is in us, the sin of our lives, the sin of our heart. And I have I have found something to be so true in, in my heart. And I would guess, I would guess that you might be able to relate to this, actually. So whenever I encounter a scripture, I read it. Whenever I hear scripture preached or whenever someone confronts me with scripture in a way that addresses sin in my life, my default reaction is deflection. And I'm good at it. I mean, I'm good at it. Can you relate to this? Deflection. The, the fact that I didn't hear amens there might be an indication that there's some deflection going on right now, right? Deflection. Here's what deflection looks like. Oh, if only John were here to hear this. Not picking on any Johns, but... but <laughs> oh, if only my husband would listen to this. Oh, if only my wife would have been here this morning to hear this. Oh, if only my friend, oh, my friend needs to hear this. In other words, as we begin to sense conviction, we naturally will kind of feel this tendency to want to deflect it. Deflect it in the name of Jesus to those others in our church or toward others in our lives because it's safer that way, right? It's like that speck in your brother's eye and the log in your own idea, right? But here's my challenge for, for you this morning, for us this morning, before you deflect to others this morning. I want to challenge you to reflect first upon your own life. Reflect on your life, what the Spirit may be revealing to you about you. As the Spirit convicts to reflect. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable, but but it's essential to understanding the gospel. It's essential for our growth in Christ, and it is essential for our Christian holiness. So, so let us this morning, let us reflect, not deflect. All right? And let's begin right at the first verse, first verse of, of Psalm 130. It says this, Oh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The imagery here is vivid. 
Other translations say, from the deep water I cry to you. The imagery here is literally drowning. It's the desperate cry of someone who is fearing for their life, crying out as, as the depths are, are overtaking them. This is desperate. This is intense and, and vivid language. And this is how the psalmist is describing himself. He says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And so, so why is the psalmist so desperate? What is this vivid imagery here representing and what is causing this desperate cry? I guess a good question is, what is the psalmist drowning in? Well, we begin to see what the psalm is pointing us to here in the next verse in verse 2. Verse 2 says, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive. Again, this is this is desperate. And, and let your ears be attentive. And then he says this, to the voice of my pleas for what? For mercy. The, the psalmist is pleading for mercy. Now, mercy might be one of those words that's kind of common in our Christian language. Um, it might be part of our Christianese a little bit. And we might be tempted to rush past it and to not stop and realize its, its meaning. What is mercy? Mercy is a pleading word. It's a desperate word. It's a plea calling out to someone for compassion. It's a plea to, hear me, to not get what we deserve. It's a plea to not get what we deserve. It's a cry for compassion. And so here the psalmist says, I'm drowning, I am overwhelmed, and I am overtaken. And I am pleading out desperately, calling out, crying out. And don't miss this. I'm crying out not as a helpless victim, someone who has been wronged or wrongly accused. No, 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 church. I am calling out as someone who is drowning in my own doing, drowning as a result of my own doing, drowning in what is deserved. I'm not calling out as someone who has been wronged. I am calling out as someone who is wrong and I am calling out for mercy that I might not get what I deserve. And so again, I, we have to, we read this and we have to ask to what is the psalmist referring here? What's in view here? What's he talking about? The real question again is, what is the psalmist drowning in? Well, verse 3 states it for us plainly. Verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? It's iniquity and sin. The psalmist is drowning in his own sin. That church is what is in view here. The psalmist sees his sin like he's drowning in an ocean of his own sin, his own iniquity. And, and here is the, the, here's the, the realization of the first part of this psalm. Here it is. If the Lord who is perfect, absolutely perfect, absolutely holy and just, if the Lord were to assess us, to judge us, which scripture says one day he will, 
But if the Lord were to judge us rightly, the psalmist says, who could stand? Or to continue the analogy of verse 1, who could swim? It's like being dropped into the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Your sins are too many and their consequences are too great. No one can stand. No one can swim. And so, verse 1, out of the depths of that, O Lord, I cry out to you. Out of the depths of my sin, out of the deep waters of my own faults, out of my own disobedience, I am crying out to you, asking and pleading that you would hear and that you will have mercy, that you will not give me what I deserve. And I want to ask you something this morning. Have you been there? Can you relate? Have you ever felt like this? Let me... Let me be honest with you about a fear that I have. Uh, my fear is that too few of us can relate to this like we should. My fear is that too few of us think about our sin in this way. Think about our sin like this. And that too many of us don't think that we're, we're not all that bad. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there are too many of us who would be here saying, no, I'm perfect. I'm killing it. I'm killing this life thing. Like perfect. No, I'm not saying that. All right. But what I have observed is that too few of us actually believe that God would be absolutely just in condemning us. I mean, we're not all that bad, right? We're not as bad as we could be. We're certainly not as bad as that other guy. We're, we're a pretty good Person, I mean, we're good-ish, right? <laughs> so let me ask you again, can you, can you relate? Can you actually relate to this psalm? I mean, this psalm is comparing our sin to drowning. I mean, can you relate to this? The truth is that pretty good people will not be able to relate to this desperate plea for mercy because pretty good people won't be able to relate to that feeling of drowning in our own sin. People who aren't that bad don't need mercy from drowning. They just need a little help every once in a while, right? And my fear, my fear is that this is the way that too many of us begin to see ourselves. I'm convinced that this is one of the main reasons why so much of Christian teaching today struggles at times to deal with sin. I mean, let's just be honest. You could find, if you were to walk through a bookstore, for example, you could find far more books, far more teachers who tell you that you are awesome. You are awesome just the way you are. You're a beautiful butterfly. <laughs> you are beautiful in every way then you would find books and teachers who would say, no, you are not awesome. You are a sinner. You are dead in your sin. And your sin, it is serious. And your sin is gross. <laughs> Those books might not sell as much. Those churches might not grow as fast, right? But church is important. It's important that we understand what the Bible says about us because the scriptures do not say that you are awesome and that you are good just the way you are. 
The scriptures say that you're a sinner desperately in need of the grace of God. The scriptures say that you are a sinner and that in Christ there is forgiveness of sins. The scriptures do not say that you are good just the way you are. The scriptures say, come just as you are, and there is grace and there is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And as we look at this text this morning, we realize something. We realize that the scriptures, that God does not take your sin lightly. God does not take your sin lightly. Yet how often do we? And again, let's let's reflect here, not deflect, reflect. Maybe it's a blatant sin in your life, a sin that, that God speaks directly to you in his word, whether it's sexual sin, lying, cheating, slander. Or maybe it's those those quote unquote little sins like laziness or gluttony or materialism. Maybe it's your thoughts. I mean, I mean, no one's going to be hurt. My, my thought life doesn't hurt anyone else, right? Maybe it's even those, those things that aren't quote-unquote bad sinful things. Maybe it's the, the neutral things like golf or sports or something that has just taken you away from the other things that God has called you to do. Hear me, church. Scripture does not take sin lightly any of it. And our God, our God has called us to be blameless and to walk with him righteously. He doesn't take our sin lightly. And yet how often do we, how often do we make, even make provisions for it, cuddle up with it, thinking that it's fine and thinking that it won't hurt anyone. Can you relate to this psalm? To a complete into a desperate cry for mercy? Or are you less desperately pleading for mercy and, and more thinking that you're okay? Now, you, you might be hearing this right now and, and thinking right now, okay, Justin, move on. You might be thinking that I am just trying to make us all feel terrible about ourselves this morning, and you might be thinking that I'm doing a good job. <laughs> but please hear me. The understanding of who we are, our condition, our need, our total depravity, the understanding of our own sinfulness is fundamental to understanding the gospel of grace. Let me say this again. The understanding of our own sinfulness is fundamental to understanding the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. See, without it, without understanding our sin, without understanding that, Christianity really becomes nothing more than self-help. It's like a list of life hacks that make your life slightly better. A list of do's and don'ts. A list of things to believe that will contribute positively to your life. That's all. But church, we know and we stand on the fact that the gospel is so much more than that. So much more than self-help. It is the complete and total salvation and restoration of our souls. No one, 
No one would describe a lifeguard's saving someone's life as uh, from drowning as just a little, little self-help or assistance, right? No, that is literally a saved life. Our salvation in Jesus is like that. It's like salvation from drowning. It's not a series of life hacks that make your life better. It is the complete salvation from sin and judgment. It is the joy of knowing and walking with Jesus today and forever. It is the joy of being saved from drowning in the depths of a hopeless ocean. It is the joy of knowing that God showed us favor and it is eternal and ongoing response to the grace of God through Jesus Christ. See, our gospel is not self-help. It is dying to ourself. Salvation from sin and being made alive in Jesus Christ. The psalmist cries out to God for mercy. Realizing his desperate and hopeless condition. And then listen to what's next. Verse 4 says, but... But, I love that word, but, but, but. See, I am drowning, but. I am desperate, but. I am crying out, but. I am in need of mercy. I am rightly condemned. I am drowning in my sins. I am drowning in the consequences of my sins. But. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. With you, there is forgiveness. Let me say this again. With you, there is forgiveness. Church, I could make the argument scripturally that these five words sum up the most prominent message in all of scripture. The most fundamental foundational pillar of the gospel. With you, there is forgiveness. The message of the scripture is that God is holy God is perfect. God is just, just like we talked about. And the message of Scripture is on this side that you and me, that we are not, that we are sinners. Beginning in the garden in Genesis 3, we are sinners, all of us completely and fully, just like we have talked about. So over here, God is holy. And over here, We are sinners. In the message of Scripture, the message of the gospel could be said like this. You ready? But with you there is forgiveness. See, God is showing his mercy, his love, sending his son, Jesus Christ, because with him there is forgiveness. You don't need to turn with me to here, but... This is just too good not to read. John says it well in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says it in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Now, we could say here he's delivered us from the drowning in that ocean. Right? He has delivered us from that. And here's what he has done. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Jesus says it in Matthew 26, 28, for this is my blood of the covenant. He's talking about the work that he was about to accomplish on the cross. This is my blood. And he says this, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, church, this is not a point in scripture, a point that one of the biblical authors focuses on here and there. No, this is the point of the gospel it is the narrative of the gospel that god is holy you are a sinner but with him there is forgiveness the gospel says again our god is perfect you are not and there is forgiveness of sin through jesus christ amen so in light of that what is what is left to do What is left for us to do? Well, the psalmist says it well, verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Waiting is hard, especially since so many of us are doers. We like to fix things. We like to do something, work towards something, right? We we see this problem of God being perfect, us being sinners, and we want to get to work to fix this thing, right? Let's just think back to our analogy in verse 1. The vivid imagery of us desperately calling out as we're drowning. I remember eight years ago, Candace and I went on a cruise. It was my first one to ever be on. It's actually the only one I've ever been on. But I remember uh, how overwhelming it was. One of the evenings on the boat, I looked out over the side of the boat, out over the ocean. And literally, it is just water. As far as the eye can see, see, and in every direction, the ocean is overwhelmingly huge. It was an overwhelming moment. I, and I couldn't help but think of that mental picture as I read this text and as I thought about my sin. I imagined myself being in the middle of that ocean, out there in the middle of that water. Now, I admit that swimming is not really my thing. Like swimming 250 meters is a bit of a challenge for me. But I don't care who you are. I don't care if you are Michael Phelps in here. You, There is literally no way for you to swim to safety from that, right? I don't, I don't care how good of a swimmer you are. You're not going to make it. Church, the same is true with our sin. I don't care how good you, you are who you are. You're just not going to make it. And to even try is foolish and it ends in exhaustion and in death. And here the psalmist is going to point us to a different way. The psalmist says, realize your desperate condition. Call out to God for his mercy and know that with him there is forgiveness. And then verse five, wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And it is In his word, I hope. The picture that our text paints here is not one of just working really hard or swimming really hard. The picture here is one of waiting and trusting that God will save, that our God is mighty to save. As we've already said, our God doesn't take sin lightly, but with him there is mercy and there is grace, and with him there is forgiveness. But think about it. If someone, someone drowning, 
They don't just need to hear, I forgive you, as they sink down. No, they need salvation. We need salvation. God does not leave us to drown in the sin that he has forgiven us from. And as we cry out to him, all of the anxiety and fear gives way to hope as we wait for the salvation of the Lord. The psalmist says, I wait for the Lord and my soul waits in his word, I hope. Listen, I was really hoping to get further in this text, but I really think we would be better served to just camp here and unpack this a little more. Here's my objective as in our time together this morning. We've talked about the, our perfect God. We've talked about our sin. We've talked about our need for mercy and about... Um, forgiveness in Jesus. We've talked about that, but I want us to finish our morning by talking about our hope. Would you hold your place with me in Psalm 130 and would you turn with me to the back of your Bible to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter's toward the end of your Bible, and if you just start from the back, you're going to have Revelation, Jude, some John, some Peter's, all right? It's right there. And, and, and I want you to listen to this church, because just like the psalmist here in, in Psalm 130, we are sinners, we're crying out for mercy, waiting for the Lord, waiting in, ho in the hope of his word. And in this, Peter says this, verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. Now, don't miss that, because remember, we are the ones who are crying out for mercy. We are the ones drowning in our sin, crying out, calling out. And then Peter says, according to his great mercy, meaning he has what we need. That our, in, in, Here's what our God has done. He has caused us, Peter says, to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Church, hear me. Our hope has come, our salvation has come, and our hope is Jesus Christ. In other words, church, in our text today, Psalm 130, the psalmist looks forward to the hope of the promised Messiah, that that one day he would come, that one day when the Messiah would come and he would conquer. But today, church, we need to understand you and I stand at a different vantage point. We are not looking forward to the first coming of Jesus, to the arrival of the promised Messiah. No, no. You and I are looking back on the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, the psalmist looked ahead to the hope of the promised Messiah, and now church, in and through Christ, because Jesus came and died for your sin, because he rose from the dead, we, as Peter says, have been born again to a living hope. In other words, our hope is living because Jesus is living. Our hope is alive because Jesus Christ is alive and he is our hope. This is really good news for sinners to hear. Amen. 
Let me just say this simply. Let me encourage you with this this morning. Since he is alive, the sin that he conquered, the sin that Jesus conquered, is powerless to destroy us, and it has lost its power. That is why Paul says in Romans 8, who is to condemn? Who is to condemn? Paul here is asking, who is going to condemn us for our sin? And of course, this is a rhetorical question because the answer is no one. And why? Why? Well, Paul says, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Our Savior Jesus Christ is alive, our hope is alive, and our hope is interceding for us on our behalf. Our, he is, Jesus is, our living hope. In Christ there is forgiveness of our sins, and in Christ there is salvation. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot make that swim. We can't work for it because Christ has already accomplished the work perfectly and completely. Here in Psalm 130, the psalmist is examining his life. He is reflecting upon his own sin. And he is clinging to the promise that one day, one day, things will be made right. And he's looking at God's word, hoping. Church, here. This morning, we reflect on our own sin and we stand on the fact, the fact that God came down, dwelt among us, gave his life and rose from the dead. And Christ is alive and he is interceding on our behalf. And like the psalmist, we cling to God's word in hope. We stand on the fact that our hope lives and that our hope is Jesus. And here's what I'd like for us to do this morning as we finish together. I want to give you a challenge. We have already said that understanding our own sinfulness is fundamental to understanding the gospel, right? So I want to challenge you with something this for this morning and throughout your week. I want to challenge you to develop a habit. If you don't practice this habit already, I want to challenge you to develop a habit. And the habit is simple. The habit is this. Come to the Lord daily and ask him. I mean, with your mouth, with your words, really ask him to search your heart and to reveal sin in your life. As crazy as this sounds, I want to challenge you to take your sin as serious as your God takes your sin from the biggest to the smallest. From your thoughts, your lust and envy and hate to your actions, to your gossip, to the slander, lies, sexual sins, even to the socially acceptable sins of selfishness or materialism or idolatry or laziness or gluttony. Church, let us be a people who are not content with sin. Any sin. And as we take this posture before our God in prayer, and as the Spirit reveals your sin to you, I encourage you in that moment to simply confess it to Him, because with Him there is forgiveness. 
this morning, this week, let us be a people who are relentlessly bringing sin out of the dark and into the light, confessing it to our God and repenting of it. See, you want to know how sin's power is going to be weakened in your life? It's when you and I, when we take it seriously and when we bring it to the light and expose it because with him, with our God, there is forgiveness. I came across this really helpful example from an author this week, and and he was talking about our battle with sin in light of Jesus, and he compared it to two nations that are, are at war for a territory. And one nation with outside help defeats the other They win, they establish government, and life moves on, right? Well, not quite. Because the other nation, the defeated nation, the losing nation, they don't just go away after defeat. See, they may have lost, but they don't just vanish. They don't just go away. No, instead, they change their tactics, and they move to a more scrappy guerrilla warfare, and they continue to fight relentlessly. So it is with your sin. See, although sin has been defeated through Christ and the war is won, the enemy continues to fight. Only his tactics have changed. Church, we cannot afford to be passive. We cannot afford to to not be defensive or take the offense in this battle because we are in a real battle and we have a real enemy who has been defeated but is still hanging around until that day when he's no longer hanging around. We sang about it this morning, that glorious day when he is no more. But until that day, let us be a people who seek to take our sin as seriously as our God takes it. Let us be a people who aren't passive, but who take the defense, take the offensive against our sin. And let's let's do this together this week. Now, I am not encouraging us to develop this habit so that we can all just start moping around (laughs) with this woe is me kind of attitude. This attitude like, oh, I'm such a sinner, sin, 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 right? No. On the contrary, to the opposite, I am encouraging you to do this as our text says, so that we may know the truth that with our God, there is forgiveness, that we may know the true power of the gospel. If we don't take our sin seriously, there is no way for us to take the grace of God seriously. There is no way because knowing that there is forgiveness of our sins, that is going to strengthen our relationship with our God and give us a stronger and more vibrant walk with Christ. There is joy, church, in being forgiven. As our text says, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so this week, here's the challenge. Try to find a moment daily, daily, and that might be challenging. I know for for me, the summer is here, and so some of my daily routines have been kind of just punted out the window. But find a moment daily 
to begin to develop this godly yet often neglected habit of asking, simply asking that the Lord would reveal your sins so that you can confess it, drag it into the light and repent from it. Church, our God does not change and he feels the same about our sin as he has always felt uh, about our sin. It is just as serious. It is just as deadly, and he doesn't take sin lightly, any of it. And so let us be a people who don't take it lightly. Let us be a people who take it serious so that we are able, as a people, to take his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness serious as well. Because understanding our sinfulness will give us a greater understanding of the grace of our God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, would you close your eyes with me? Would you bow your heads with me? I know that there may be some here who have never wrestled like this with the reality of our own sin. You may be here and think it's kind of weird to hear a sermon like this and about this. There may be some here who, who have never come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Who have never experienced the grace or the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And as we close this morning in prayer, hear me. You can know the hope of our psalm this morning. You can know the forgiveness of your sin. You can have an unshakable and a living hope this morning. Romans 5.8 says that God loves you. And that he demonstrated that great love, his great love for you. And that while you were drowning in your sin, he came. Christ came down to give his life for you. Hear me, God has invited you to come to him. And this morning, his invitation is to you. Come to him. Because with him there is forgiveness. Come to him for the forgiveness of sins. Come to him for an everlasting hope. Come to him because with him there is forgiveness. Come to him that you may be with him forever. That you will get the hope of heaven, the hope of Christ. Would you come to him this morning? And would you all just pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this moment. God, for those in this room who you are convicting in this moment of sin, would you reveal it? Would you reveal our own sin to us this morning? Would you help us drag that sin from the darkness and into the light? For those here who have unrepentant sin, we together right now, we just bring it out and we confess and we repent. Lord, would you help us to be a people, your people who take our sin as seriously as you take it this week. 
And God, for, for those in this room who have never come to you and experienced the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus Christ, Lord, right now in this moment, will you just convict and draw us to you? And would you show us that with you there is forgiveness of sins? God, we thank you for the work of your Son on the cross on our behalf. And we trust in your Son for our salvation. And we thank you that in you there is forgiveness and mercy and grace. God, you are a good God. We love you in Jesus' name.